going to spend some time today talking about this idea of really believing in the Word of God. This week, I want to preach a message called Represent, which is to represent. I'll come back to that. Next week, I want to preach a message about restoration because God is not in the habit of doing one or the other. He's in a habit of doing both. And when you believe for God, hear me, you begin to see the fullness of God. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through some trials and have some character produced through the process, but it means that no matter what you're going through, you know that he's going through it with you. And you can trust him on the other side, come on, just as much as you can trust him in the middle. He's not the God of the other side. Come on, somebody. He's the God right in the middle, right in the middle of everything that you're struggling with and everything that you're going through. I want to say this, and, and I want you to prepare your heart for the reading of God's Word today. But there is a thin piece of glass, a very small difference between righteous indignation, which is very biblical, righteous indignation, and then self-righteous irritation and or anger. Righteous indignation will actually convict and compel people to Christ. Self-righteous anger or irritation will actually unintentionally push people away from Jesus that you are actually hoping to draw to him. Okay, so today I, I need you to pray for me as I pray in a minute. I need you to pray for me that I stay in righteous indignation. And I don't go into, and you may even ask the Lord to help you with it, that I don't go into self-righteous irritation and or anger because I don't want to push anybody away from the Father that I want to lead them to. Okay, with that in mind, righteous indignation, I want you to hear and read with me the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation so I don't have to explain it as much. He says, I don't want you to forget dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. He's talking about the Israelites being led out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Instead of going straight to the promised land, they wandered around in circles. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Well, I wish I had 15 minutes to just preach that right there. The cloud was ahead of them. All they had to do was follow the cloud. But they kept looking around and looking back. So instead of going into the promised land, they wandered around in circles. And God is so gracious that even when they didn't follow the cloud, the cloud followed them. That's who he is. He didn't just let them go. Then the Bible continues in verse 2. I don't have it in your notes. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. In fact, they drank from the, the water from the rock that followed them as well. They had a cloud, a rock, and fire and all kinds of stuff. Like God saying, go this way. Okay? And then Paul says, and the rock was Christ. Let's continue. We pick up in verse 5. He says, yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Righteous indignation. Verse 6. These things happened as a warning to us. It's a warning. God is saying, listen, this is not what I want. If you force my hand, then this is what's going to happen. But this is not what I want. It's a warning to us. 
What? So that we would not crave evil things as they did. That we, how, that you would arrive in a place in your relationship with God that you don't even crave evil. Like you don't even desire. Like you don't have to ask a child, what's the matter with you? What, you, what, did I, what were you thinking? As a man thinks he is, Dad, I don't know. No, no, no. You could come to a place where you and your children and your children's children, you desire the things of God so much more than the things of this earth that you don't even have a craving for anything that he's not in. Like, it's, it's biblical. Well, that's unrealistic. No, it's biblical. And biblical is always extraordinary. I got to keep going. Verse 7. Or worship idols as some of them did as the scriptures say. The people celebrate, my God, I didn't write this. The people celebrated with feasting and drinking and, because there's nothing wrong with food and drink, and indulged or engaged in pagan revelry. You can go look that on, up on your own. I got to keep going. Verse 8. So we must not engage, remember, this is just the next verse, in sexual immorality. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I'm not doing that. Oh, hang on. Greek word, pornuo. I don't have to tell you what English word we get from that one. And it, it translates literally as being unfaithful as in premarital or extramarital relations. But figuratively, this is important, the people of Corinth would have understood this to, not, to mean not being unfaithful. We must not engage in not being faithful to Jesus. It was a figure that meant unfaithfulness to Jesus, this word pornuo, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. He's the same God. Yesterday, Old Testament. Today, New Testament. And forever, Revelation and beyond. Verse 9. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and died from snake bites. And I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to go. So I'm not going to test Jesus. Verse 19. What am I trying to say? Oh, thank you, God. What is he trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No. No, it's just a, it's a costume. It's paper mache. It's not a real image of Zeus going down the middle of the road. It's, it's not a real God. No, not at all, verse 20. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons and not to God. And, and I don't want you... Can you hear the pastor's heart here now? Paul is saying, I don't want you to participate with demons. This is why I'm saying what I'm saying. Verse 21, because you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. Verse 22, what? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy in what we worship and what we celebrate and what we engage in? Do we think 
that we are stronger than he is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today. And God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. And God, a heart to receive. It is the kindness of the Lord that led unto repentance. God, let us have a heart to receive the kindness and the love and the mercy and the grace. But we are to be holy as you are holy. So let us at the same time receive the conviction of the truth of your word. God, give us the mind of Christ. And I even pray right now that you would help the people that hear this word to be able to separate what is the opinion and or preference of Chris Fry and what is the absolute doctrinal truth that comes out of your word that is alive and active. Father, I pray that you would plant your word in our spirit today. And God, I pray that it would produce and prosper in what it was sent forth to accomplish. Lord, anoint the communication of this word, and I pray that that word would transform us, transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God one more hand of praise this morning? Hey, turn around and smile at somebody. Tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. If you see somebody sitting alone, offer them a, a seat next to you so they don't feel like they're being left out. I'm supposed to announce quickly. I don't really like doing announcements, so I'll do it quickly. But I'm supposed to announce that today is the day that you need to sign up for the marriage conference. I won't belabor that point. I heard my wife say yes because she is the visionary leader behind the marriage conference. And I heard her say yes, 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 she said, today is the day. Now, if you are so kind that you have been waiting because you wanted to make sure that there was room for somebody else because we have limited space, they have not signed up, so today is the day that you go ahead and sign up. And what we'll do, because you are so much more concerned for others than you are yourself, what we will do is we will invest in you and your marriage in this conference that you were waiting and letting somebody else sign up for. We'll invest in you, and then next semester you can teach the marriage small group because you are so concerned for other people. We'll invest in you and allow you to invest in them. So go ahead, <laughs> so go ahead and, and sign up for the marriage conference today so that we can order the things that we need to order, and they will be personalized to you. Also, this Wednesday night, we have what we call First Wednesday and people have asked, man, what is the difference between First Wednesday and Fifth Wednesday? Nothing. Just one of them is the First Wednesday and one of them is the Fifth Wednesday. And, and we just pick the dates dependent upon when that Wednesday lands because we try to gather the church together at least once a quarter every three or four months for worship and communion. I've explained this in Next Steps before, which we will start again next week, so go ahead and start signing up for that as well if you've never been through Next Steps. But the reason we don't do often, we've done it before at times, but the reason we don't do communion predominantly on Sunday morning is because we want anyone and everyone to come to this church. And we don't wanna do anything that intentionally excludes somebody that's not currently living for Jesus. 
And communion, the Lord's Supper, is to receive, be received by those who are following Jesus. And we don't want people to walk in here and say, hey, we're going to receive communion. Y'all sit over there, you dirty, rotten sinners. The church has something to do real quick, and we'll get right back to you. So we have a worship and communion service, and we would love for you to come and bring your family to that this Wednesday night. First Wednesday, because that's when it lands in the month. That being said... I want you to understand that this is a place that we want people to belong. And, and I have a phrase. I don't want to put it up yet. Just hold it, hold it for me. I want to show you. Last week I preached from this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And at the end of verse 6, I had memorized it in the New King James. Predominantly I memorized in the New King James, NIV, or, or uh, English Standard Version. Not because I have a preference, but just because that's the way I learned some of the verses. I read from the New Living Translation because I can understand it. And so <laughs> from the New King James Version, the Bible says, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, that, that God has received us through his glorious grace. And then he uses this phrase, and he has accepted us, accepted us in the beloved. That is in Jesus, in the one whom he loves. Emphasis on the one. Okay, so we are accepted in the beloved. It does not mean that we are approved no matter what we do once we are accepted. Okay, so the invitation, hear me, the invitation to be a part of this church or to come to a service, as I just said, the invitation is that you, you are accepted just as you are. But that invitation to come and attend just as you are, hear me today, is not an invitation for you to stay just as you are. It's that you're accepted in the beloved, in Jesus' name, because we had all, there is no one righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So though you may come as you are, you don't get to stay as you are, and if we're not careful, hear me today as I warm up, if we're not careful, we will excuse the transformation right out of this thing we call salvation. And we will extend grace into an excuse to continue living a life that does not represent Jesus. And that is extending grace into a place that it was never intended to be. It is true. We accept you just as you are. Come on. But we believe God to transform you back into his image and likeness. We want to be a place where people can walk in and feel like they belong, but that doesn't mean that you get to keep on behaving however you want to. Hang on, i got to give you an example because only three people got that one. See, you are welcome to come to my house and belong as you are. But if you stay in my house... Because y'all know I'm like ornery about this stuff. I'm, I, I have to fight, and some of you do too, that self-righteous irritation that actually turns into arrogance and pushes people away from God. I have to be careful about that. You can come to my house, and you can belong. Like my wife has decorated the entryway. I want to get this for the entryway. 
for the what? The entryway where people enter. I want them to feel welcome. I want it to be warm and cozy. Do you like this light? Does it come on? I mean, do you like the fixture? I just like the light bulb. I want it to shine when I'm walking in this. I don't want to be walking in the dark. It's the entryway. I came home last a couple of small groups ago. There was a towel laying at the front door. I thought somebody's going to get beat with this thing. A kid has left a towel on the floor during small groups. Their mama's going to pick that up, make a cow tail out of it, and leave stripes on their butt back. So I, and, but I know, I know not to just change stuff, guys. That's marriage 101. Don't you just be changing stuff, okay? You got to ask. So I said, hey, babe. And she's a little, you know, people are coming over, which is why I always tell people, well, we'll call y'all and plan. Please don't. Just come. Because if you come, she's like, come on in. Just excuse it. If you call ahead, we got to clean all day. We're getting pillows out of the closet we don't even use. I'm throwing them. Don't throw my pillows. It's called a throw pillow. Call it something. Anyway, so people are coming, and there's a towel, and I'm like, babe, what is this? Is this what's this towel for? Oh, well, I just didn't want people to feel like they had to take off their shoes. Because it, it was raining. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> it was her intent for people to belong in our home, but it doesn't mean that you get to behave however you want to, even as you belong. So we want to be a place in a church where people belong as they are, but they become who God created them to be. I want to, hear me, I want to accept anyone at all times in any walk of life, no matter what you did last night. I done stepped in stuff today. We want you, you are accepted here. You are accepted in the name of Jesus, the mighty name that is above every other name. No matter what you did, no matter what you came from, no matter what you have been up to this point, but I will never, God help me, hear my heart today. I will never lower the standard of this word to accommodate ungodly living that looks like a license to sin and doesn't understand the resurrection power by the blood of Jesus to actually overcome the former struggle that you used to be bound by. Because when we use grace as a license to keep on living however we want to, we cheapen the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grace is not a license to continue living in your lust, come on, or your licentiousness, or, or your lewd behavior, and or foul mouth. And I will never lower the standard of the Word of God in order to excuse a lifestyle that is living separated from his will. This is a place where you can belong as you are, but you will become who God created you to be. It is the love and the grace of God that transforms us because then and only then can you have a true and pure understanding of what it means to be accepted in the beloved, transformed 
by the power of God. And so we want to represent through messages, certainly, but even more through godly living. Now, there are other places that will make you feel better about however you want to live. And there are other places that will explain away or even use the word of God to justify things that you can't seem to overcome. There are seeker-only places, and there's some drive-through Christianity available to people all around the world today. And if you want to go to some of those places, they'll even bless your beer. Oh, come on. You got to advertise something that ignorant, try to justify it with the Word of God, and don't think I'm going to say something about it at some point. Y'all had to know that junk was coming. Put it on social media and use scripture to justify it. My God, where has our world gone? And those churches are available. It's just not going to be this church. Because this church is a Bible preaching, believing, and practicing church. And we believe that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth. So we represent the good news of the gospel. I may have gotten over into self-righteous irritation on that last comment. That's why I prayed that the Lord would help you discern and differentiate what was Chris Fry's opinion and what was biblical absolute. We learned a little bit about the church in Corinth. Corinth is a city on a peninsula. Corinth in the Bible, according to Acts chapter 18, was a city of commerce. It was a city that was known, sound familiar? It was a city that was known for its culture, for its history, and for its tradition. If you will, Corinth was a city just a little inland from a major port city. I think that Corinth, just for today's purposes, is a really good representation of Acadiana in modern-day society. Minus the fact that Acadiana, unlike Corinth, was, is not on the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Say that one five times fast. Corinth is a place where people would travel through, and Corinth was a place of commerce and culture and history and tradition. But Corinth was a place that was known for its paganism. It was known for its immorality. And Paul was trying to plant and pastor a church in and amongst all kinds of indulgences and immorality. And so he writes to this church that was overlooked by a temple to a Greek and Roman goddess named Aphrodite. And Aphrodite had priestess, thousands of priestess that would come down into the city and entice the men and the women of that community to fulfill their flesh with all kinds of immorality. And so you have this remnant of God's people who are just baby believers because of the preaching and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to this church and he is pleading with these people to live a life that represents the gospel that he presented to them. And I kind of feel his heart. 
I was having a conversation. I was at lunch with a friend this past week, and we were, we were talking about it was before Russia invaded the Ukraine, which should be concerning, and we should be aware. But as I've said before, we should not be afraid because it doesn't matter what nation attacks what nation. Jesus Christ is on the throne, and he will rule and reign. Having these conversations before, and I even said, you know, I really, like, I try to stay informed, but if I'm not careful, I'll get overwhelmed. And, and then I'm like, I'll get anxiety just from being informed. And so for the most part, I just, I try to stay informed, but then I really don't care. I mean, I do, I care for people. I, I had a text message from a friend who has an exchange student that's back in the Ukraine. And a friend that I graduated high school with is texting a young man who, who is in a bomb shelter and, and stuck down in subways with people afraid for their lives. So it's a very real thing. I, I try not to wait until it affects me personally to pray for it. So, so I care about it, but for the most part, like, I can't control things that happen outside of the areas that God has given me control over. And so in that, I have this, this purpose statement, if you will. It's like my vision for life. And this is it. To lead people to legitimately live for Jesus. This is why I am alive. This is why God saved me. This is why no matter how ungodly I was or how far I stopped or got away from following Jesus, that he never stopped following me because he knew that ultimately he would turn my heart back to his heart, which is to lead people to legitimately live for him. And I believe that Paul had this same heart. In fact, I believe that this should be the vision and purpose statement of every person that has ever received salvation and believes in Jesus. This is the vision statement for my life. This is the vision statement for my, my, my marriage. This is the vision statement for my parenting and for my pastoring. Everything revolves around this statement. Even the church vision statement to meet people and grow closer to God together, it all revolves around this. And I believe that this is why Paul wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. Because they were having as hard of a time living for Jesus in a culture that didn't tolerate it as some of our people are. And I believe that Paul so desperately wanted people to legitimately live for Jesus that there was no example he wouldn't use and no sermon he wouldn't preach, no illustration that he wouldn't make if it just, cost, if it just caused one more person to turn away from sin and to the Savior. And this is my personal conviction based on this statement, and I believe this to be very biblical. It's actually a little bit of a recap of this whole series. That I, or we, are called to repent. To change our mind about what we think is okay. To change our mind about what we have tolerated in our lives and even around us recently. To turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. So we repent, right? And when we, and by the way, repentance is not feeling bad about something. Repentance is not just apologizing. See, true repentance has an adjustment that follows the apology. I, I don't get to smack my wife and say, oh, I'm sorry, and then smack her again and say, oh, I'm sorry. 
But that's how many people live for Jesus. That's why I don't believe in indulgences. Because I don't get to intentionally sin and apologize and call it repentance. That's not repentance. If I smack my wife after I already said I'm sorry, I better stay awake that night. That's what I better do. That's not, that's not repentance. Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. Don't apologize to me. I'm not Jesus. You, I'm not going to be your judge. I might be standing with you, but I ain't standing for you. It's going to be you and him. Just like, just like it's going to be me and him. And what's interesting to me is how many people hold me to a higher accountability than they hold themselves just because I happen to be more responsible for God's kingdom at this time. But you don't know what he may have for you. You might supposed to be me, but he can't use you where you are because you're not willing to do what he does. I didn't even preach this in first service. I stuck to my notes. I'll get back to it. We repent, and then we are, because of his grace and his mercy, we are redeemed, which is why I preached what I preached last week. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, and, and don't just say so, but show so. And now that we repented and we are being redeemed, we represent. So I went to uh, Sunsports this past week, and I had this T-shirt made. And on the front, just as big as we could fit, you know, because I'm not really that big of a guy, so my t-shirt only has so much room, but, but right here in the front, I, I just had them put, believe in Jesus, question mark, and then on the back, I had them real big, put really, and I'm letting you know right now, I'm wearing this on Tuesday, and I'm not telling you where I'm wearing it. Because some of y'all will go somewhere else thinking, my pastor's going to be in Eunice. I'm not going to Eunice. <laughs> I'm going to walk around with a t-shirt, not with self-righteous irritation. But I meet so many people that say they believe in Jesus, but they live like the devil. And, it, and, it's, and it's, getting, it's getting inside of me. And I have to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, let this be righteous indignation. That if we believe in Jesus, we really believe in Jesus, then we should behave according to what we say we believe. And so I don't know where the line is for you. Well, I mean, I just have a, I just have a beer. You know, I mean, I can have one beer. Surely I can have one. I mean, I can, I'm just, it's just a costume. I mean, we wear costumes to Carnival. Look, I don't know where the line is. Maybe take the mask off and take the koozie off the Coke. I, I, I don't know. The Bible says that we should avoid and uh, that we shouldn't even tolerate the appearance of evil. Maybe Paul didn't really mean that verse, and we'll just mark that off and redeal with it later. But I don't know. Can I wear an Iron Man costume to Second Street and still represent Jesus? Or is the, the mask too scary looking? Like, can I wear the mask and not slither like a snake and scare children? I don't know what the line is. I don't know. But I'm telling you, there is one. I don't know what it is for you. I can't answer that. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I can just tell you that there's a line that God doesn't want you to cross. And the more that you learn to cross it, the more that you're going to learn to compromise. And the more that you learn to compromise, the more that you're going to be able to commit. And the more that you commit the further you get away from Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 10, as Paul continues, verse 23, you say, this is Paul writing to the church, he says, you say that I'm allowed to do anything. But Paul is saying, not everything is good for you. One version says, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And Paul is saying, look, you say it may be okay, but I'm telling, I'm telling you, I've seen this, I've been watching, and I'm saying that not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do everything, but I'm telling you not everything is beneficial. I saw one of my friends earlier this week, an evangelist who travels all over the place, and he put this in a meme. It said, the early church used to ask, what must I do to be saved? You remember that? That was the conviction of the early church. The Philippian jailer. Man, what must I do to be saved? But the church today likes to ask, what can I do and still be saved? And that's a hard issue. There's something wrong on the inside of us that we would even think we reserve the right to ask that question. Well, how far is too far? You went too far when you thought you had the right to ask how far is too far. When you came to a place that you thought it was okay to question God's grace, you have officially extended grace into a place that it was never intended to be, and you are really close to cheapening the grace of God into an excuse to continue in a license of liberty. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful, I really am, I promise. I like this kind of preaching. Like this is the kind of preaching caused me to really give my life to Jesus. Some people leave over this kind of preaching. I can't help what you do. All I can help is what I tell you to or not to do. Verse 24, so don't be concerned for your own good before the good of others. So a long time ago, God began to tell me to stop doing things that I didn't want to stop doing. I share some of that stuff in the Freedom Conference. A long time ago, God started telling me to stop doing things that some of you still do. And it may be okay for you, but it's not okay for me. Because why? Because God told me not to do it. And I can't force my personal conviction on everybody. That's not the point of this. But I do believe that we need to come to a place where we stop asking, what can I get away with? And we start asking, what example am I setting by what I'm allowing myself to get away with? Because we're not supposed to be concerned for our own good, but for the good of others. So verse 31, Paul continues, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I could just meditate on that verse. Whatever you do, no matter what you eat, no matter where you go, do it all for the glory of God. And hear me, if you can't do it for the glory of God, look, I went to the LSU football game several years ago. Pastor John Chow's got tickets and took me to the LSU football game. And I said about five rows up in one of the south or north end zone. I can't tell, remember what direction the stadium faces. I can see it on the bridge, but I can't figure out where I am once I get in there. All I know is that at halftime, we were down 21 to nothing. But by the end of the game, LSU won. And I was surrounded by all kinds of unrighteousness. And I celebrated the victory for the team that I was cheering. But I did not engage in the unrighteousness of which I was surrounded. 
So I really can be somewhere and not do something. Like I celebrated the victory and I really didn't sin. I mean, on the outside, look, we were down 21 to nothing. I was struggling just like the rest of y'all, okay? Drove all the way over here, stupid game, down 21 to nothing. And then we came back, I was like, I'm sorry, Lord, go talk. Anyway, so that's just what they do to us, right? But Paul says, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 32, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. What I was going to say in that previous verse is if you can't do it for the glory of God, then you can't do it. You can play baseball. You can play football. You can study for a test. You, you can go and be with your friends and family in the right atmospheres at the right times. You can be the light in the darkness. But if you can't do it for the glory of God, then you may not want to go do it. Verse 33, I too, Paul says, try to please everyone in everything I do. That doesn't mean that he just is here to perform for people. Because you go read the book of Acts and... And Paul said some things. He, he wasn't trying to appease people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I try to become all things to all men. I don't just do what's best for me. I try to do what's best for others. So that what? So that I represent who Jesus was for me and many would be saved. Let me give you a phrase. It's a little bit of a long phrase. I don't do this to you often. But this is a recap of the series, if you will. I want you to R-E, remember, I want you to re, I need help because I ain't memorized, all right, I'll read it here. Remember that Jesus is my redeemer, but I am responsible. You remember that message? We were responsible to receive salvation, and I am responsible to remain and represent Christ. Now, I know I'm saying represent the wrong way. It is don't question yourself. You've been saying it. It's one of the few words that you say correctly. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Represent. I know. It's like that time we were playing the alphabet game driving down the road, and I was trying to find a Q, and, and Qs are hard to find, like Js. Why is J so hard to find? You're playing the alphabet game driving down. You ever play the alphabet game with your family driving down the road? That was before everybody was watching their iPad the whole time. We had a Magnavox TV with a VHS player. We were scared of that thing. Every time my stepdad hit the brakes, it was like a bowling ball come flying off it. People sleep at the floor, on the floor at their own risk. You know, there's nobody's holding the Magnavox. Anyways, we played that game, and I remember I was looking for a Q, looking for a Q, and I looked up, and we passed this store, and I said, Q, Antiques. That's antiques for all y'all that didn't get it. It's okay. I'll explain it. It's all right. So I know that we're not saying represent correctly, but I need to repeat this because I believe that this is the conviction that we should live under, that we need to constantly, in whatever we do, we do all things for the glory of God because we need to remember that Jesus Christ is my redeemer and I am responsible to remain and represent Jesus to everyone everywhere that I go. So Paul writes to the church in Galatia, do not be misled, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always. Somebody say always. All right, now the other 150 people in the room right now say always. 
wake up your sleepy neighbor wonders what everybody's saying and say always you will always reap what you harvest you will all what you plant you always harvest reap what you sow harvest what you plant every single time you don't plant an apple seed and get a watermelon that's just not how it rolls okay you're not born a man and just become a woman i'm just saying that's just not how <laughs> just just not it's just not how it works except we accept you no matter what you think or how you feel but the word of god becomes our identity and remember this our god is not mocked we will reap what we sow we will harvest what we plant so he continues verse 8 those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay in other words he's saying if you plant unto the flesh then you will reap destruction decay and death from that sinful nature that's that's why he said in Galatians chapter 5 he gave us a list of things that shall not inherit the kingdom of God and then he gave us a list of things that are the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God so that we would be able to look at a list and go okay I'm not in Christ I am in Christ but before he even gave us the list he said this in Galatians 5 13 that we were all set apart for liberty but we are not to use our liberty in Christ as a license or an opportunity to continue to fulfill the flesh see Galatians and Corinthians were doing the same thing as South Louisianians we were using the grace and the mercy and the love of God as a license to continue living in a way that actually falls short of his glory and Paul is saying what I've been saying this is not okay God can make it okay but we've got to repent it's not an opportunity listen I am not saying and I know I am not saying that you cannot attend any kind of celebration that that is that has the name of the French word that means Fat Tuesday however it became that it used to be Shrove Sunday and Shrove Tuesday which was a time of confession come on and 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 a time for sins to be abolished and wiped clean and then they would eat pancakes I, I don't know eat sweets whatever they could eat but now it's called Fat Tuesday so it's just a it went from a day of indulgences to like a whole weekend of indulgences listen when you give the enemy an inch he will take your entire life and immorality spreads like wildfires in California. But he says, we, we, don't, we don't live to, to gratify this sinful nature because if you plant in the flesh, your liberty is not an opportunity to fulfill your flesh, then you will reap death. But, come on, this is the good news. Those who represent those who live to please the spirit glorifying god in all that they do they will harvest everlasting life from the spirit so verse 9 says so let's not let, let's not get tired of doing good the way i memorized it let us not grow weary in well-doing because in the right time in god's time in due time we will reap a harvest 
Come on, like, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it to not engage in that immorality that your flesh really wants you to engage in. It's going to be worth it to not drink that, to not take that, to not go there, to not do that. Because discipline is denying yourself what you want now for what you know you want most. It is denying yourself of the pleasure in a moment to please God in the long run. Because that's why you were created. So we sow unto the Spirit, and we don't get tired of doing what is good, because at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if. Man, I wish he'd have just left that part out. Just end on the harvest of blessing. That's all I want to hear. And there's probably a church that stops right there. I just don't pastor that church. Because God said, this only happens if you. See, we always have a responsibility if you don't give up. And then in verse 11, he continues, notice what large letters I write on my own. See, before this, he was just declaring words, and a scribe was writing down the things that he was saying. And Paul gets to this point, he's like, hey, give me the pen, give me the pen. And Paul starts texting in all capitals. He's screaming at you. We don't have this, but it, it says it. Notice what large letters I use to write these closing words to the church in Galatia. Verse 14, as for me, man, never become self-righteous. Man, never boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, and may God's peace and mercy, I love this, be upon all who live by this principle. See, you don't get God's peace and mercy living however you want to. But Paul prays, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this. I'm going to preach this to you. I didn't preach it in first service. You want to know how to pray for the lost? Pray this. God give them no peace remove your peace from their life that's why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth it'd be better to hand them over to the devil in this life than for them to spend eternity separated from God in the next life you want to see somebody repent you pray that the Lord would do whatever it takes to get their attention just know that when you do that he may answer it that may be the problem with many of our spiritual children. We're not willing to pray that prayer. My God. And every time that God starts doing what he needs to do to save them, we get in his way and enable them to keep on living how they wanted to. And I said, pray. You want to see somebody repent? Then you pray, God, remove all peace from their life. And send laborers on your behalf. And may I even be one of them. God, send people that they know and prophets that they don't even know with words of knowledge. That's why I have to believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Because the enemy doesn't play fair. Pop-up ads on children, the enemy is not playing fair. We need to wake up, church. We're not just walking in another time of our existence. We are at war for the last days. 
But our weapons of warfare are not carnal in nature. This is for second service only today. But they are divine in power. But it is time for the church to stop walking with the world and start being a light to the world. That we know and understand if our weapons are divine in power, we need to pick them up and do something with them. And start on our own in the name of Jesus, abolishing the strongholds of Satan everywhere that we go. Because everywhere that God puts me, is a place that he wants to reveal his glory. Not so that I could blend in and be like everybody else. Because flashlights don't hide in the dark. Hey. May the God who gives peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. And then I pray this. But God, if they turn to you, if they even look in your direction, may they sense the peace that surpasses all understanding. May the Spirit begin to draw them by His presence. God, do whatever it takes to save their soul. Because only the people that live by this principle are the ones who are ex actually accepted as the beloved and the new people of God. I close with this story about representing the gospel. I'll spare you the entire chapter. Just know that Jesus put all of his disciples in a boat and went across a sea, not because he didn't have anything else to do, but because he wanted to reach one person. He put them all in a boat. He went across the sea. He went to a place that the Bible calls the land of the Gerasenes. Some translation says the land of the Gadarenes. And the Bible says that there was a man there who lived among the tombs that the people had cast out of their cities and thrown in a cave. You feel like you're in a cave? Jesus is in a boat. Just hang tight. He's on his way. <laughs> Jesus gets out of the boat and the disciples, you got to read this story as it, as it actually was. Like we just read over this stuff. The disciples get out too. They're like, in the world, God, Jesus wasn't playing. Does he know what this is? He must not know. Tell him, Peter. Not this time. So they start walking up this hill. And this demoniac. I'm trying to. Jaybird naked demoniac. I'm talking birthday suit and shackles. This guy is nuts. Comes running at him. If I was following Jesus, this is a moment where I'm no longer following Jesus. I was jogging with Megan one time. This dog came running up. She like jumped and screamed and ran. She's like, weren't you scared? I was like, no. What if that dog would have bit you? He wasn't going to bite me. How do you know? Because I can outrun you. <laughs> it's when we were dating. I'm telling you. I'd have left every disciple. That dude comes running up. I've been gone, back in the boat, looking like Donald Duck going across the top of the water. Some of y'all know it. <laughs> 
None of them took off. At least we, it doesn't say. I'd have wrote that if I were Mark, but he didn't write it. So. You know what that says to me? 7,000 demons can't keep you from running to Jesus. So we don't get to blame the devil for the things that we do. That's just a lack of desire. If you want to blame something, blame the desire, not the devil. Because the devil can't keep you from Jesus. 7,000 devils can't keep you from Jesus. And this man ran, and he fed, the Bible says he fell down at the feet of Jesus, and the demons start speaking. What have I to do with you, son of man? And Jesus looks back and says, what's your name? See, identity is always the place that the enemy likes to attack. What's your name? The devil speaks back through the man. Legion, for we are many. And then they ask him, please cast us into the swine. Don't just send us off into the abyss. But, okay, go to the swine. Then the swine run off the cliff, and they all die and go to the abyss anyways. Isn't it funny how God answers our story? Anyways, there they go. And then the Bible says the herdsmen run into town out of fear and tell everybody. And everybody comes out of the town and asks Jesus to leave. But not this one dude. See, to him, it doesn't matter where he came from. He just knows what God did. And because he knows what God did, he wants to spend the rest of his life discovering who God is. And the Bible says in verse 18 that as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, he's no longer demon-possessed. How can you tell? Well, the only way to know a tree is by its fruit. How did they know that he's no longer demon-possessed? Because he wasn't behaving as if he was still oppressed and possessed by a devil. His behavior, his behavior changed according to what he believed in that moment. So if you have a behavior problem, you really don't have a behavior problem. You really have a belief problem. And if you will deal with the belief, then the behavior will follow. Stop messing with the behavior and start dealing with the belief. So his behavior followed his belief, and he stops behaving the way that he was behaving, and that's how everybody knew that he had met with Jesus. <laughs> it's such a cool story. And the man says, hey, I, I, please let me go with you. He begs him. Can you see this guy? Please let me go. Please let me go. I, I want to follow you. And then Jesus says to him, nope, go home. <laughs> that's messed up. You don't see that much in the Gospels. That somebody would beg to follow Jesus and Jesus tells them no. But watch. He saved him for a purpose. It's not so that he could go back to the cave and put the chains back on. It's not so he could be like a dog and return to his regurgitation. No, no, no. He said, no, no, no. Here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go home and you're going to show yourself to your family and you're going to tell them everything that I have done for you and how merciful I have been to you. Verse 20. So the son of man started off to visit the, I'm sorry. So the man, not the son of man, but the man, the representative, the representative of Jesus, just like you can go out this afternoon and be, I'm not telling you not to go to the French word for Fat Tuesday celebrations. I'm telling you, go and give God glory. 
Go and be the light in the darkness. Go and stand out like an onion in fruit salad. Come on, somebody. Go and be the difference for somebody. Come on, not the excuse or the justification for somebody. I'm not telling you to hide in your house and throw holy water at every demon that comes by. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. This man, the Bible says, went into the Decapolis, that's the ten cities of the region, and he began to what? He began to represent, he began to reproclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. Because he had repented and been redeemed, he decided that now I have a responsibility to remain as a representative and represent Jesus to everybody everywhere I go. And the Bible says, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Fast forward a few years, and Paul is writing letters to churches throughout 10 cities of Greece that already have churches in those places. One of those places that represents that area at the least, and I don't know this as a biblical absolute, I don't have a bunch of scriptures to justify it, but Paul writes a church, a letter to a church in a place called Rome. What's interesting about him writing a letter to a church in Rome is that there shouldn't have been a church in Rome because Paul had not been there to evangelize or a apostle been sent out as an evangelist or missionary to Rome, but he's writing to a church that he had never been to. How is there a church in Rome? Well, it could have been because of the 3,000 that received salvation on the day of Pentecost, but I think it was the story of a formerly demon-possessed man that was delivered in the presence of divinity, and he went out and declared the deliverance to every Decapolis city that there was, and today there is a church who represents Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ revealed himself to one person that refused to compromise and one person that refused to become complacent no matter what culture and or individuals he was surrounded by. He gave God glory in whatever you do. Do all things to the glory of God because you don't know who he wants to use you for. And there may be somebody possessed by 7,000 demons and God puts them right in your path. And at the mention of his name, not this is not a later kind of thing. This is a live it now kind of thing. Believe in Jesus? Do you? Really? Because it doesn't look like it. Or it does. And you're sowing unto the Spirit. And you will reap a harvest unto the Spirit.